electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live in the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, stocks soaring again today, and a top strategist says a monster rally is coming. He'll be here to tell us why he is so excited. Plus, another big night for earnings. We are watching Apple, Starbucks, Shake Shack, and CBS all on the move after hours. Those conference calls underway right now. And we've got full team coverage in the earnings trench. Gene Munster's on the red iPhone listening to Tim Cook tell Wall Street about the quarter. Carter Worth's giving us instant analysis on the move uh, in the after-hour session. Josh Lipton, by the way, outside Apple headquarters in Cupertino where he just spoke to CEO Tim Cook. So, Josh, take it away. What do he tell you? Melissa, so this conference call is just about to kick off. Just some um, come to the highlights of the print here, Melissa. You know, iPhone shipments, 46.9 million. That was a miss. The street was at 47.5. The iPhone average selling price, though, 793 bucks. The street was at 751. So I did ask Tim Cook about that. He told me, listen, if you look at the top end of our iPhone lineup, we grew double-digit units, and that gets compounded when you look at the ASP as well. And so it was a huge quarter for us on the high end of the line. Of course, um, the 10s and 10. Max to become officially available in late September. We've had a lot of analysts also come on air, Melissa, and tell us they think the 10R is going to be Tim Cook's biggest seller over the next 12 months. I asked Cook about that as well, whether he agreed with that. He said, listen, we don't predict beyond the current quarter we think will be a big seller, and obviously we created it so we could get a lot of the advanced technologies to even more people. I think on the call as it kicks off here, Melissa, Street's going to want uh, just more insight into the iPhone mix in Q1, uh, 10s, 10s Max, and the 10R. Uh, also, this guidance of 89 to 93 billion. You know, the street was at 93 billion. Tim Cook telling us there are just certain realities uh, that he's dealing with, including tougher comps and foreign exchange headwinds. But I'm sure the street's going to want to hear a lot more. Uh, certainly, the trajectory of services will be um, key. That faster-growing, higher-margin business, and then these supply-demand issues. Um, he did mention to us that, listen, he, he's entering Q1 here with an unprecedented number of products. And he told us it's going to take some time to get into supply-demand balance for some of those products. I'm sure the street wants to hear more about that as well. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks, Josh. We'll check in with you later. The stock, by the way, was down as much as 5%. Right now it's down by about 4.25%. So could this move spark another tech rack, especially given the fact that Apple had been the defensive sort of bastion of tech investors during this route. Yeah, it's held up very well. I mean, it was up 31% of the year into this print. I think it's really important to remember, Amazon's down about 18% from its all-time highs just made a month ago. Google's down about 15%. We know that Netflix and Facebook down uh, considerably more. So this one has been, uh, you know, just a relative strength leader. But when you think about this quarter and why are investors shooting first and asking questions later, the call hasn't even started. There's three main points. Units and iPhones are flat year over year in a quarter where they refresh. And I think that's something we're going to get a little more clarity on. Josh just said that 10R, 
which is just came out, is going to be important, but that's going to lower the ASPs. That's the lower model phone. And then the other points I just want to make real quickly, that services did decelerate on a sequential basis. It just grew 17%. It's still about 16% of the overall. That's something that's really important. But if they're not growing that unit base, that's something that becomes a problem. And then lastly, China, which grew 19% last quarter year over year, that growth decelerated to only 17% in the quarter. So those questions need to be answered on this call. I mean, for the Apple bulls out there who say services are going to be the key in order for Apple to move away from being a hardware company, growing the install base, getting the growth there, would be a very important thing, I would imagine, in order to keep that flywheel going. Yeah, look, I think I think the install base growth growth is fine. I think the ASP growth is is as Dan said, it's you know be careful because I don't know that that's exactly the market that they're pushing for. Uh, memory prices are falling. That's actually good for gross margin, and people seem to be paying up more for memory. So a little bit of a mismatch, good for Apple. I think the big weakness here was the outlook for for Q1, fiscal Q1. They basically said we have a tough comp. Um, they also actually talked about weakness in emerging markets. So um, this is something that we talk about all the time on the show. What's really going on in other parts of the world. Well, guess what? Another big CEO and another big tech company talking about how the rest of the world may be an issue, and maybe that's something that comes back here. Either right. way, look, this is their quarter, yeah. and, and to get this kind of a cautious outlook, I know it's a tough comp, but that's not what anybody wanted to hear. Let's think about the other, you know, Amazon for this calendar fourth quarter, light on revenues. Apple for the calendar fourth quarter, Consumers light on Consumers never been revenues. better, right? What, yeah. what kind of picture does that paint? Well, it, it paints a picture of uncertainty, which the market right. doesn't like. And it could be that he's being excessively you know, conservative. conservative, cautious on the call. Maybe we'll get a little more color. Maybe not. I think, though, that it's prudent to do that in this environment. Why not? Um, so, you know, I'd rather have seen a, be a better print. But uh, well, I want to wait to hear the call. I think it'll be, I think we'll get more, more granularity there. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, on the call, what I'm going to be looking to hear is, one, is that EM slowdown something that's a macro type of lever, or is it just specific to Apple, which maybe it could be? And then secondarily, if you want to see things turn around here, if they mention that services are doing really well, I think that could be the thing that turns around the stock in the after hour. Then we may not have another tech wreck. But if you do have this kind of view that, listen, the global uh, growth is slowing down, then that's going to be a problem for all stocks. Well, that, uh, Tim Cook also mentioned FX headwinds, which could cost the company about $2 billion. Um, but the supply-demand issue, I mean, I think that that's sort of an interesting one because that almost sounds like that is potentially, we, we don't have enough color on this, a self-inflicted problem that Apple could have managed better, possibly. I mean, we don't know well, what the details are. I think it's important to remember the places where they need to grow going forward to grow that installed base are places where there's a lot of very local, cheap alternatives. And that's China, and it's obviously uh, going to be India going forward. And I'll just mention this. You know, there's a lot of focus on ASPs, and I know a lot of analysts say that's the number to focus on. I think more and more customers are doing the Apple upgrade plan, and they're thinking about it, how this amortizes over a year or two-year period. And that also goes back to the services. There's a big number of these services revenue right now that's being lumped in with the Apple Care. That they mand it's mandatory that you have Apple Care when you use the Apple upgrade program. So that's working right into the services. I think over the next couple of years, if units really do just flatten out or start to decline a little bit, the company's going to start talking about how much revenue they get per user 
per year. And that's something that I think is going to be a shift probably over the next couple of years. The other thing from services is, is you know, it's a little bit concerning how much our one-off, you know, new, a new screen costs 200 bucks. That seems to be a big part of this. Also, Tim Cook talked about the fourth quarter being a tough comp, and last year they had a release. But let's remember, last year's fourth quarter, or, sorry, calendar fiscal Q1. Oh, Q1. Calendar, yep. Right, calendar fourth quarter, fiscal Q1 for the company, actually had kind of a bumbled release. Let's face it, there were bottlenecks. They actually, it wasn't a very smooth number. It's not like Q1 last year was that historic. In fact, it actually is what made uh, fiscal Q2, so the January quarter, uh, or the, the end of the first quarter, a much better number. Bottom line here, this is 4% of the S&P. This is 11% of the Qs. This is a very big deal. Um, but I don't get the sense, at least right now, and as Karen said, let's wait for the call, that there's something systemic in their business or in the tech business that's outside of this emerging markets warning um, sure. right. th that should be. That already hasn't yet. been priced into the sell-off in the market, right? Which didn't that's, touch Apple. Right. Only a little, right. Right, only but, but, but we're but asking if there's going to be a tech yeah. wreck. Right. We've had a tremendous sell-off anticipating bad news like this. Yeah, this release... Uh, 10 days ago, I think would have been we'll tough. have a lot more muted reaction today, tomorrow, than we would have 10 days ago. Sorry. Same release. Is your point that because we've actually rallied in the last few days, this is not as big of a deal as it would have been if it fell on us uh, yes. a week ago? Yes. I agree. All right. For more on Apple's earnings, <laughs> let's go to Fast Money friend Gene Munster, founder of Loop Ventures. He's over in the earnings trench um, at the uh, Red Phone. So, Gene, what are, what's your takeaway so far? Melissa, the first thing is this was a solid quarter. I realize that some investors are disappointed with the December guide being midpoint slightly below where analysts were at. That was impacted by FX, and we're listening keenly in on what they're going to say about channel inventory and how that impacted the December guide. So the call just kicked off here. But overall, it was a solid quarter. And I'm going to make a prediction that as we fast forward a week and two weeks and three weeks from now, the general tone of analysts is going to shift to an increasing ASP, that was one big positive surprise in the quarter. And second, an accelerated return of capital. They, uh, at this pace of close to $25 billion a quarter, they could return uh, going into next year at a pace 2x faster. And obviously that's a big deal because on these pullbacks, Apple's opportunistic in terms of buying stock back. So uh, I think the big takeaway here is the business is on track and uh, ultimately need to hear a little more about that guidance. But overall, it's positive. When you hear the, um, the supply-demand issue imbalance, and I think that's what you're getting at when you, you meant production impacting guidance, um, that sounds like something that a, a startup company would go through, not, not the kind of company that Apple is trying to manage the number of SKUs they're selling concurrently. Well, Apple has traditionally struggled with getting products up to speed, new products especially. For example, last year when the iPhone X came out, it didn't reach supply-demand equilibrium until the end of the December quarter. This time, they're introducing uh, three new phones, which is more than last year. And so uh, that is something, even though they are a well-oiled machine, it takes usually a quarter or so really to get up to some of the efficiencies and yields they need from that production. So that probably would explain that. Still need to get a sense from Tim Cook on the call about how much that impacted guidance. All right, Gene, we'll check in with you a little bit later on. Let's, meantime, get a check on the Apple chart with the chart master, Carter Worth. What are you seeing, Carter? Well, you know, I think the summary of this is going to be that it's sort of a non-event. Uh, let's talk about that. Obviously, one could say, what are you talking about? It's, it's down, you know, 4%. It ended the week at 2.16.30, and here we are at 2.13, meaning we were up so much coming into today's session, up almost 3%. We've given that back. We're basically flat on the week. I don't think you're going to be rewarded as a bear or a bull. I stood here on Friday making a constructive case for Apple, but it turns out it's neither constructive nor, frankly, bad. Let's look at a few charts and see if we can uh, put it all together. Here's the chart of the past uh, one, two, 
years. But here's the well-defined channel. And the reality is that, of course, that it looks as though Apple's just going to remain in this well-defined channel. And it literally, like a pinball machine, has ding, 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 off the top, off the bottom, speaks to the importance of technicals. And I think we're just going to obviously stay in this. But that's a wide range. Let's zero in a little tighter. Here is the here and now chart. Let's draw the lines. And what we've got is this well-defined wedge. And if you see this, that low is 206. And today we were at 222. We're simply going to actually go back towards the middle of the range. The apex is exactly 212, where it's trading right now, meaning this is still unresolved. Not a winner for the uh, bears or bulls. I'm afraid Apple is just at a price where it belongs. Sometimes there's equilibrium, and I think that's what's going on here. Just for reference, Carter, since you said it was unresolved, what's the bottom level of that channel on the other chart that the you have? The bottom level is about 207. That okay. low of uh, four or five days ago was 206, but again, the line is rising. So that's about 207, 208. And we're indicating now, again, about 212, 213. Just stuck in the apex. All right, Carter, thanks. We'll thanks. check in with you once again. Carter Worth on the charts. Dan, final word to you. Yeah, I think it's important to remember when this company reported their Q3 on August 1st, the stock was at 190. And a month later, it was 230. Okay, so here we are. We're consolidating those gains. As good as that guidance in that quarter was, this one leaves some questions. So the jury's still out on this. If they miss units in this quarter that we're in right now, their holiday seasonally strong one, the stock is going back towards that 190. So I think it probably is choppy between now and then. All right, coming up, uh, we continue our Apple coverage as well as coverage of the rest of the earnings action throughout the hour as all those calls are underway right now. Plus, Google employees walking out across the country and around the world today to protest the tech giant's response to a number of sexual harassment issues at the company. The CEO speaking out on CNBC moments ago. We will tell you what he said. And later, Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo says a monster rally is coming. He'll be here to explain why he's buying hand over fist into year end. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Google employees from all over the world walking out today to protest the way the company has handled sexual misconduct. Google CEO Sundar Pichai sitting down with CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin at the DealBook conference moments ago and commenting on this protest. Moments like this show that we didn't always get it right, and so we are committed to doing better. We are listening to employees. That's, uh, that's partly why today is important. And, you know, and I think there are concrete steps coming out uh, in terms of what we could do better. Um, you know, so I, you know, for me, I, I want to acknowledge the women who step up and do this. I think it's, uh, it shows extraordinary courage, and we want to figure out how to support them better. And it's a process, and I'm committed to doing better, and I want to make sure Google sets the bar for something like this. And this, of course, is just one of the issues that Google and Alphabet face more broadly. There is also right. the huge issue of not disclosing a data breach, security breach. Uh, until months afterwards. Right. I don't know. Did we, I, don't, I didn't hear anything about that being addressed yeah. today. But to the other issue of the, the walkout, I think, you know, it's not, it, it reads terribly, 48, you know, 48 times, but there's 100,000 people that work there. 
any large corporation, it's just you can't eradicate that ever. I think he did a good job of saying the right things, saying what he needed to say. We've made a mistake. We, you know, we're committed. We, we care. All of the right things. Ultimately, I think this is a blip. Do you remember when uh, Sachin Nadella said women shouldn't ask for raises? Something right. like that. Yeah. And very quickly and appropriately backed off and said I was wrong. I made a mistake. And, and that ended up being a blip. I think this will, too. The other issues are going to be more difficult. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, good for Google for getting out there today. Uh, bad for Google for creating the situation where people have to get out and protest. Um, I don't think Google has a reputation, in, at least in my eyes, as a company that's been insensitive to the world or their employees. Um, I do think Google has issues with GDPR. I do think Google now has issues with data privacy. Uh, again, I think investors are going to start viewing companies that value their data and treat their data differently uh, than they, you know, they will, they will be the ultimate you know, determinant of valuation. And I think Google does have some stuff to worry about here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one, this one thing that highlights that we talk about stock price a lot, but there are stakeholders involved in these companies. And I think they handled it fairly well in this situation. But Google has other issues. I mean, from the Bitcoin guy here, I think we're at peak centralization. And that is going to be an issue for Google over the time. Over time, I mean, Over right time. now, this is a company that's growing sales on a $120 billion base with 70% gross margins at 20%. I, I mean, that naturally, and if you look at it, it's growing sales higher than it's growing earnings. And I think analysts are starting to expect there, there's going to be a greater spend, as they've already done with Facebook, to Tim's op-ed points that he writes on CNBC.com all the time. Regularly. I mean, this is an issue that's coming. <laughs> I think the bigger issue is that the, their CEO is willing to sit down with Andrew Ross Sorkin, but he's not willing to go with, do what Sheryl Sandberg did and Jack Dorsey and show did up on and show Hill. up on Capitol Hill. And that's something that's coming to them in 2019, which is one of the reasons why when I think it breaks 1,000, it probably spends some time below that as analysts start to, investors start to digest what higher spend looks like to combat these issues. So I, I don't think Google has quite Facebook's issues, but I agree with Brian on the, the parasitic centralized platform. By the way, their third quarter numbers were right down the fairway. I think they were very, very solid numbers. But you have to ask a question. Why does this company, with as solid as it is, with as predictable as its core business is, why does it trade at this multiple? I think it's too cheap. And that, that starts to tell you something. I, to me, my biggest complaint with Google is the management of the balance Cash. sheet. It yeah. is ridiculous that they haven't done something. If you look at what Microsoft has done, has done and look at how their stock reacted, same for Apple. It is ridiculous that they're not giving that back to the shareholders. Well, for more on the issues playing Google, you can head over to CNBC.com. Maybe you'll find an op-ed written by Tim once in a while. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's going to be a big party. That's what a top strategist says to expect for the market into year-end. And he's calling it a monster rally. He'll tell us why he's so bullish. Plus, something is happening in the crypto universe that could get Bitcoin out of purgatory once and for all. And we'll tell you what it is. Much more Fast Money right after this break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying again today. Now it's third day of gains in a row. All of Wall Street was pounding the table ahead of earnings season. So as the reports start to wrap up, what else can drive the markets higher from here? Bob Pisani is at the NYSC with more on that. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. 75% through earnings season and finally out of October. So where do we go from here? So here's some events that might be moving the markets in November. First, with earnings season mostly over, expect corporate America to ramp up buybacks. This is an all-time record year for buybacks. About $1 trillion will be announced before the end of the year, and a good chunk of that has not yet been spent. That's the key. They will spend it because stocks are cheaper now. Second, there's lots of speculation about the elections, with a lot of people speculating that the Democratic control of the House might be a threat to tax cuts. Now, I don't buy that at all, but it certainly might be a threat to making the tax cuts permanent. Now, you see what any speculation about China trade negotiations do to the market? Look what happened today. Expect maximum pressure on China going into the talks on November 30th. Finally, I keep hearing that both sides want an infrastructure bill. I keep hearing they're going to materialize. But how do you pay for it? The Dems will want to pay with higher taxes. Republicans will want a public-private partnership and expect a lot of resistance to increasing the deficit. That's going to be a problem. But beyond all that, the most important trend may be seasonal. November is the second best month of the year, up 1.5% on average since 1950. It's up 45 of the last 67 years. Those are great odds for an up month. This also starts the best six months of the year for the markets, and this is the best part of all. The fourth quarter in election years has been invariably up from all October bottoms since World War II, 18 out of 18 times it's been up. Now, that's a stat to put a bet on. Back to you, Melissa. Thanks, Bob. And by the way, happy 25 years at CNBC. (laughs) Yeah, Bobby. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. It's been a great privilege to be here and a great privilege to work with all of you. Oh, it's great. been great knowing you, Bob. All right. So, by the way, I don't know if you saw the pictures on Twitter. Bob looks amazing. (laughs) He's like the Benjamin Button. It's been great knowing you. That sounded very ominous. Actually, no. I mean, it's been a pleasure. Works my. Our next guest isn't fearful of any of the risks that Bob outlined because he sees a monster rally ahead. Let's bring in Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo. Um, So, what is it? Just that stat was pretty staggering. 18 out of 18 times we're up. That's pretty good. I'll take those odds. But what we see is. Everyone's moved to one side of the boat. Risk aversion. Everyone is just run to risk aversion. As one side of the boat goes over, everyone's starting to run back the other way. What we see is value was uncovered. We were all talking about was it algos, was it this, these guys or those guys. But value was uncovered. 15 times earnings. This was a great opportunity. We still think it's a great opportunity. But people act as if this was a spectator sport, not a contact sport. We want people to pick up that value. There's plenty of opportunity out there. It's more of a trade than a long-term investment, but there's a lot of opportunity that the market's uncovered in this sell-off. So what's this trade then? If it's not long-term, what's a trade? Buy into your end and then what? So we think you have a couple weeks. We think that as we go forward, so what do we do, okay? In in August, in September, we told people to de-risk their portfolio. As the market traded off, what did we tell them to do? We told them on Monday, you have to start adding risk back into the portfolio. And that's what we want them to do. We were on this market, excuse me, we were on this show a couple months ago saying it's a trader's market. It's still a trader's market. Market goes up, then we want to start laying risk back off again. 
So are there particular industries, the ones that have been hit hardest you want to go after, the ones that are still more value? So if you're a short-term trader, buy risk, buy the beaten up things. If you're a longer-term trader, buy high quality that's been beaten down. We find it across the board. We find it in tech. We find it in financials. We find it in consumer. Be, be diverse, be but be aggressive. Don't just stand there and look at the opportunities. Don't just stand there and look at the value. Take advantage of it. So I'm looking at your targets for next year. They yep. don't seem too much higher than this year. What, 4% higher or something like so, that? So what's going on? Right. So what's going on is we had a massive sell-off. That massive sell-off has value created. Was created. It was uncovered. <laughs> value was created. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I appreciate well, that. I can hear. And so we want to take advantage of this. There's, there's not a lot of opportunity. As we look forward, the opportunities are very small, and so you have to react very quickly. And you have to trade the opportunities. We're, we're looking in 19, 20, 20 um, as we go forward, we're looking at mid-single-digit returns. Here, we're having an opportunity to have double-digit returns. You have to act on it. You have to buy that value. You have to take on some risk. And then when it starts to be priced back up, you want to lay it back off. Do you, you think that, yeah. I'm sorry. No, please. So, but I, I get that you're the same place you right. were, but haven't some things changed? So do you think we should still be at 170 on S&P? I don't know where you are next year. Where right. are you on S&P? Uh, 173. Okay. But in the last two or three months, we've right. dealt with you know, an increasing trade deficit. We've right. seen a, a potentially a more aggressive Fed. Um, right. We've seen global growth actually slowing down before us. Should we right. be exactly the same where, where we were on EPS? Uh, well, we just initiated our EPS for 19, so we're not exactly okay. the same. But so what do we see that's different? What do we see that's the same? What we see are better valuations. What we see are rates are still low. Credit spreads are still tight. M&A is starting to pick up. Now the Chinese and the U.S. are starting to talk about, well, maybe we can cooperate. So there are positive things to look at. Is tariff, is trade going to be an issue? Sure. What do we see in a Fed tightening cycle? Usually we see a deceleration. You have to deal with it. That's why we're talking about mid-single digits as we go forward. But when the opportunity presents itself, you have to take it. These opportunities will close very quickly. So you can't just stand there. It's not a spectator sport. Everyone's talking about why this happened. Was it algos? Was it CTAs? What? It doesn't matter. The opportunity's there. Pick it up. Exploit it. All right. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Yeah, I think the most important thing is China. I don't think, really think it's the elections. I think that there was some clarity about all this. You know, we're just talking about it. You just mentioned EM. We're seeing EM grow slow. We're seeing Europe slow. We saw ISM showed some slowness. We're seeing it at a time when the dollar is rallying. We're seeing credit conditions tighter globally. So I think that the uh, China trade stuff going away, I think you see a market back up towards the prior highs, which sure. would be 29.50. But until we, until we have that, has, a, has a rally over the past three days made you all more optimistic about where we are in the markets? Well, first yes, of all, no. you know, we've, we've now had a nice snapback. I realize it's only the first day of November and people want to still attach some of those to just picking up. But hedge funds have been short covering. The last couple of days, it's been ferocious. Look at today. You actually saw the FXI up 4%. Alibaba was up 6 This isn't because people suddenly changed their well, minds. because of Trump's tweet uh, on China. Whatever it is. So were things oversold? Absolutely. Chris is talking about being an active trader in a market where they actually think that things are going to hold up, even if the return profile in the next couple of years is less than it was in the last. I, I agree with that. We're not going into recession overnight. I think the dynamics, though, for U.S. earnings uh, and people to assume that actually we're in this never-ending kind of upswing of double-digit earnings growth. In fact, not only is that not true, but I think 7% is going to be tough in 2019. Are you more optimistic about the markets and where we go into year-end, given the three-day rally that we just experienced? Not necessarily. Okay. No, I mean, I thought at some point you're going to have these 
big bear market rallies. And assuming we're in a bear market, I don't know. But I, I do think, you know, to Chris's point, that the market dynamic has changed a bit. So if the last several years you've just simply been buying and holding and every month putting money into your 401k, maybe now is the time to be a little more tactical and you might have to pay attention a little bit more. Well, we did get that tweet around 10 o'clock that really helped the markets reverse, right? And that uh -huh. tweet was specifically President Trump saying that he talked to President Xi of China and that the talks were pretty good effectively right this was a trade this was a trade well we don't know what it we means don't, we don't and know apparently according to the state media of china president trump initiated the phone call i don't know if that changes how you think about that conversation right but this underscores the point that this has been a market that has been fueled by concerns about either the fed or by trade we uh -huh. got trade something good news today and we had the market snap higher right i mean to me trade is the is the bigger issue than whether the fed raises you know in the short, I think the Fed should raise, but I, the, I don't know if this was just purely a campaign, you know, an election ploy to try to get the markets back up because we know that Trump uses the markets as his, you know, as his measuring stick for how well the presidency is. I, I, I think if he could resolve that, that would be hugely positive. We talked about that being an asymmetric risk, even yeah. with this up being up a little bit. I still think it's an asymmetric risk. So Chris is no longer here. <laughs> He's but, actually here. But <laughs> what he really said was it was about positioning. People got to the wrong side of the boat is right. what I heard. That's a quote. But I just think this was about positioning. If you, if you ask me where we were at the start of October, we were pretty much where we were in the end of January, which is euphoric positioning. All right. Well, if the markets do rally from here, will energy join the rally? It is the worst performing sector in the past month. There are two big names, oil names, that to report before the bell tomorrow. So, Dan, what are you looking at? Yeah, so two massive ones, Exxon and Chevron. Exxon, the implied move in the options market is about 2.5% in either direction. That's just tomorrow. And 3.5% move implied for Chevron. What's interesting to me is we talk about a lot of these sector ETFs. Those two names combined make up 40% of the XLE. We know what crude has done this month. It's down about 17% in a straight line. It broke that uptrend, the really nice uptrend that had been in place all year long. That's the two-year chart of the XLE. It's been a great trading sort of vehicle if you are inclined to play it. Look at that in the mid to low 60s, a lot of support there. And obviously in the high 70s, a lot of resistance. We're back at that support level. If those earnings are okay tomorrow in both those names, you probably have a trade back up towards 70 bucks. All right. Yeah, I, 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 well. Think, I, well, I think you do. Chevron, first Companies should be judged on how much free cash flow they generate, period. I mean, that's the most. These guys are trading at historic lows on price to free cash flow. I think Chevron is a buy here. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. By the way, let's pull up uh, the after-hours chart in Apple. Extending its after-hours loss here, it is down by 6%. Boom. The CFO just said on the conference call that it will stop giving out unit sales data on the iPhone, the iPad, and the Mac. So we'll get less information. Um, in terms of why? unit sales, we don't know why yet, but it's down 6.6%. Investors like more I think, yeah, the, yeah, I see why the market doesn't really like that. It would yeah. have been a lot better if they would have said beginning March of 2019. Instead of somebody, immediately, I don't, before that we warned on. Right. I, that, <laughs> that I don't love as much. I like, you know, a, a lot of warning, a lot of... That, that, that's not good news. You, you can yeah, go back no. and look at the history of technology and cycles, and companies usually do that when a cycle's peaking, and all you have to Changing do... Changing the metrics. Yeah, and all, all, all you have to do exactly. is look at the fact that units, this is going to be the third year in a row, that it's basically plus or minus 1% year over year. So this may accelerate the move of what I said earlier, that this company is going to start talking about about ARPU rather than units. Well, we're at the bottom of Carter's channel right now. I mean, 206 is really kind of the bottom end of where this thing has been a pinball. You said it was going to be unresolved. Maybe 
this okay. is a move towards resolution. I think we have Josh Lipton back. Josh? Yeah, Melissa, I just wanted to chime in here. I mean, you're right. The stock definitely seemed to take a leg lower when CFO Luca Maestri um, did announce this news here, some new changes to how they report. As you said, he said, listen, starting with the December quarter, uh, we're no longer going to be providing unit sales data uh, for a few products here, iPhone, iPad, and Mac. Um, and what he says is, as demonstrated by our financial performance in recent years, he says, uh, the number of units sold in any 90-day period is not necessarily representative of the underlying strength of our business. Um, furthermore, again, from Luca Maestri, he says a unit of sale is less relevant for us today than it was in the past, given the breadth of our portfolio and the wider sales price dis uh, distribution with any given product line. But you seem to see the, the stock, which was already down, then take a leg lower on those comments, Melissa. All right, uh, Josh, thank you. Let's get back to our fast money friend, Gene Munster, in the earnings trench. Gene, you heard the comments, so what do you think? Uh, Melissa, I was uh, shocked to hear that they're no longer going to be breaking out the numbers. I understand why the, the, the share price is dipping on that. As you talked about, it's never good when companies try to restrict some transparency, so that's for the reaction. But I do want to, I think there's a higher order calling that's going on. What Apple's trying to do is they're trying to really advance this theme of, Apple as a service. And when we talk about Apple as a service, we're not talking about the 14% services segment. We're talking about the whole business, including the hardware, having greater visibility and uh, allowing investors to not uh, sweat an iPhone quarter, uh, the unit number in any given quarter. And one easy way to do that is to stop uh, uh, disclosing that. So I think the simply put is, this is not a bad thing. I think this is actually a good thing for Apple's multiple. I think that this will force investors into this new paradigm of thinking about the overall company as Apple as a service. That's the bull case. Uh, right. But well, I mean, yeah. so, so I wonder also, um, and I guess I'll throw it here out to Karen and, and to you guys, um, does that mean that we want to pay less attention to ASPs? average selling prices are we going to they're trying to get us to move away from hardware company metrics uh -huh. but they are still a hardware I, yeah. company i know i don't know that we'll have that granularity i i think they kind of flub this for two reasons one just it starts with this next quarter the second why did it just come out now that's a big change in your reporting that should have been out at the top, mm -hmm. I don't, right? I don't think that should have been sort of... During the conference During the conference call. By the way, all the metrics that you like to use, we're going to change all of those. That, I, that, I don't love that. I, I think it's weak. Uh, you know, look, you can't tell the market to judge us as a software and services company or just as, you know, Apple uh, at a time when services are still such a... You know, we're, we're, every time they report or every night we talk about this on the show, it's about how much your service is important. I talked about how last night J.P. Morgan now gives the, a blended P.E. based upon services and hardware. Okay, but you can't say no longer is the most important part of your business no longer that important to break out. It's still by far the most important part of the business. Gene, don't you find it, don't you think that it's going to be harder to value this company? I mean, I get wanting to transition away from certain metrics. I get trying to emphasize services, but can we actually understand the service flywheel if we don't understand what the installed bases and how that is changing from quarter to quarter. It's going to be more difficult to analyze this, no doubt, having those that luxury of having those unit numbers. I was actually hoping that they would even break out the watch uh, because it's getting to a point of materiality, but they went the opposite direction. So this is going to be a process for investors to get more confidence that this, in fact, is a stable business. And I want to emphasize when we talk about services, Apple as a service, this theme that they're trying to advance, it's 
their hardware piece, the 65% iPhone piece, operating with some visibility. The plus 3% iPhone unit growth this quarter was the ninth consecutive quarter of minus 5 to plus 5%. And so um, I agree, In investors are going to feel a little bit... Uh, uh, feel a little bit irritated that they're pushed into this new way of thinking about it. But undoubtedly, this company is still doing uh, exceptionally well. And I think that eventually this will ultimately reward the multiple of Apple. All right. Uh, down 7.2 percent right now. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because we were down 7 percent now and nothing's necessarily changed about the company. They're just not giving those metrics. So, yeah, it's going to be a little murkier, but I think we probably priced it in at these levels. This is why, an, why? I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is still an iPhone company and they're not going to tell us how listen, many iPhones that they're really selling. Yeah, but you're still making the same bet. You're still making the same are bet you? that people really yeah, you are. You? If there is a fundamental shift, mixed shift in their business, Gene was just saying he wants to hear watches broken out. Two-thirds of their sales come from iPhone that has a 65% gross margin. They just guided the gross margins at 38 and a quarter, which have actually you're down a few percent from their high, I think, just five years ago or something like that. So to me, it's actually very important. Why, why, they just did an event yesterday in Brooklyn where they unleashed their new iPad Pro and their MacBooks and trying to show how these new products are actually going to move the needle. Why, why are they even bothering to show that actually these are becoming a material part of business? Gene talked about the watch. I mean, we got excited about that watch for Apple Healthcare. I mean, you know, but those don't are we want to see why products. That's a different issue than how they report. Well, I'm just saying, still want, why even bother with innovate. that stuff? You're right. The phone is the most important. But how about it, the, the entire product line? It's important to understand what's what. All right. So uh, Apple right now is uh, close to after our session lows right now. We'll have much more on Apple during the show. We'll continue monitoring the comments from the conference call. and We'll check in on our earnings movers as we head to break. Take a look at Starbucks. Soaring while Shake Shack is sinking. We'll tell you what's driving those stocks when Fast Money returns. And we continue to monitor this uh, precipitous drop in Apple shares in the after-hour session after the CFO said on the conference call that it will no longer provide unit sales figures for the iPad, the iPhone, and the Mac. Apple shares are down almost 7%. And with this decline in the after-hour session, Apple gives up that $1 trillion market cap mark. So it's below a wow. trillion bucks right now, down by almost 7%. Moving on to food giant Shake Shack and Starbucks on the move after hours following their earnings report. Uh, Kate Rogers is in the newsroom breaking down both of those reports for us. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. That's right. So we'll kick it off with Starbucks. Really strong fourth quarter here. Beats on the top and bottom lines. Same store sales also surpassing expectations across the board. U.S. same store sales up 4%. That is the highest rate in five quarters. China same store sales up 1%. That's also key as China is the coffee giant's second largest market. Here's what CEO Kevin Johnson had to say on the call. We acknowledge 2018 has been a year of change, along with some challenges, as we sharpened our focus to drive growth at scale. The Starbucks brand is incredibly powerful and beloved by customers. We are a brand that stays relevant by constantly challenging the status quo, elevating the customer experience, investing in and empowering our partners, operating with discipline and adapting with agility. This is increasingly important today as consumers are interacting with brands in completely different ways, and Starbucks is leading this transition both in our stores and digitally. 
Chief Operating Officer Roz Brewer told CNBC that U.S. comp acceleration, acceleration was driven by streamlining the in-store experience and continuing beverage innovation, particularly in cold drinks. Other highlights include 15 million active rewards members. That's up 15 percent year over year. RJ Hadavi of Morningstar said those comp beats in the U.S. and China were positive surprises, which could indicate that trends are stabilizing on both fronts. The stock getting a really nice pop. It's up nearly 8.5 percent right now. Shake Shack though, facing quite a different move down over 6%. That's due to a big same-store sales miss declining 0.7% in the quarter. Projections were calling for an increase of 1.1%. Those comps, unfortunately for the company, outweighed beats on both the top and bottom lines from Shaq. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rogers. Uh, and by the way, somewhat related here, we wanted to note that Weight Watchers is tanking on earnings <laughs> down about 14% in the after hour recession. Tim, you're long. Starbucks. Yeah, look, I, I think the Starbucks move is, is one where really the disappointment and the fear was around North American same-store sales. And whatever you want to say about China, China is the growth market, but where people were actually punishing, and remember where we were uh, at the end of the April quarter, um, you actually had the stock down around $30, 30% from where it is today. Um, the valuation at around 23 times, to me, relative to itself, isn't awful. Um, I think Starbucks has done a phenomenal job, I've actually tweeted about this recently, of passing higher prices along to their consumers and somehow getting away with it. Uh, I don't know how much longer that goes on, but I do think that the company's done a great job of balancing both social costs, labor costs, input costs, and the price of their underlying product. Shaq? Shaq? Shaq. Just mention McDonald's. I mean, like, this is a company that, you know, like... You don't even want to talk about Shake Shack. I love You're Shake Shack. You're like, Shaq? Shaq? No, I mean, but the, uh, their McDonald's. annual sales of about $400 million this year is what McDonald's does in a week. What's that mean, though? That is, that is nothing. How do you... But that doesn't mean it's not to what? a good... In, nothing. You know, Save it for your off-end. Stock to trade. Right, I'm well, saying here I mean, right now let's, is let's write it a right company now that literally has, like, less than 200 <laughs> stores. It's growing sales at 20% plus a year. We're talking about it down 6% on a down... I don't know, less than 1% comp. You know what I mean? Like, to me, I just don't, I think we're talking about a $2 billion market cap. I think this company has massive runway ahead of them because I think they have a superior So you're product. bullish. Oh, you're bullish. Yeah. If I could ever get a word Damn, out, likes is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my fault. Yeah. Still ahead, it is a big story of the after-hour session. Apple sinking off of its earnings report. Its market cap falling below $1 trillion. It is down by 6.9%. Gene Monster, who you see there, is monitoring that call. He'll tell us what is next for the tech giant when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin celebrating the 10th anniversary of its creation this week, and this year was its craziest ever as it jumped to 20,000 before its epic decline, as it sits almost exactly where it did a year ago. But believe it or not, institutional investors are piling into this bear market. Digital investment firm Grayscale Investments released a new report today that suggests there could be another bull market ahead. Michael Sonnenschein is the managing director of Grayscale Investments. He was also named one of Business Insider's rising stars of Wall Street this month. Congratulations, Michael. Good to see you. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. So... The incre- we were just remarking about the incredible uh, stability of Bitcoin throughout this bout of market volatility. Does that give you hope? I think what's giving us the greatest insight is how much we're seeing in the way of investment. So the report that we released today shows that $330 million cumulatively has come into the Grayscale family of products through the end of September. And about 70% of that is coming from institutions in just Q3 alone. 
And I think all the institutions that we're dealing with are really using this price pullback as a time to either average down if they're already in the asset class or using this price decline as a time to really start building a position. What's your sense as to uh, how much of that is new money being put to work by institutions versus you know, putting more into a current position? It's probably about an even mix amongst our investor base, right? There's certainly some folks who are involved pre uh, the 2017 run-up, and then definitely some folks who I think that run-up caused them to get really excited about the asset class and are now stepping into the space when prices are a little bit more attractive. So, Michael, you have multiple products at Grayscale, not just the Bitcoin Trust. Are you seeing flows into other places, or is it all into Bitcoin? So we're still seeing about 70-some-odd percent of our inflows going into our Bitcoin product. But as you said, we have a family of nine different products. Some of them are single-currency products. And then we also have our digital large-cap fund, which actually is a basket of all the top digital currencies. And so there is a, a predominant amount of the money going into the Bitcoin Investment Trust. And I'd say the reason for that is, is that Bitcoin is really just the asset of the digital currencies that we're offering products around, where investors have the greatest familiarity, the greatest knowledge. And it actually often is where they first deploy capital and then come back into other products within the Grayscale suite. Just quickly, Michael, I'm curious because we saw this sort of retail frenzy also surrounding pot stocks earlier this year. And some people were of the mindset that it's the same sort of investor. Do you, do you feel the same way? I mean, do you ever take a look at the cannabis space and think, oh, there's a run there or that's not good for Bitcoin and vice versa? So we don't look at cannabis. I personally don't look at the cannabis space. But I will tell you that the investors that we're interacting with are endowments, pensions, hedge funds. These are folks They're that have... They're not the retail guys no, looking these, for the... These are folks trade. that have 10 plus year yeah. track records of success. They have deep investment committees and deep convictions, and they're investing into the space for the medium to long term. All right. Michael, great to see you. Thank you. Michael Sonnenschein of Grayscale. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, listen, I, I echo his sentiments. I mean, we're seeing institutional investors come to us saying they want in it. Long-term view, they understand two megatrends are converging, Web 3.0, Wall, Wall Street 2.0. All right. Coming up, um, Apple sinking after the company announced a huge change to the way it breaks out sales. Uh, the stock is now down by more than 7%. Final check on that stock when we return. Welcome back to Fast Tech. Look at Apple shares up pretty much at the after-hour session lows, down by 7.3% falling after the CFO announced that the tech giant would no longer report unit sales data for its devices, namely the iPhone, the iPad, and the Mac. Um, for more, let's get back to Gene Munster over at the uh, earnings trench. So, Gene, um, did they say anything else about why they're doing this? No, they didn't say much about why they're doing it. They've given some context around guidance and trying to fill in some blanks around some future things around AR and that opportunity there, but haven't said more about why they're doing this. But I think the clear reason is this. For years, Apple has sweated over trying to get investors off of this drug of looking at what the iPhone unit number was, and they've done that. They've ripped the Band-Aid off. It's going to take a few quarters for investors to get comfortable with this, so they're going to be in the penalty box as investors get comfortable but uh, it's the right thing for the company longer term. So what's the bottom line? What's your grade for the quarter, Gene? Bottom line, the quarter grade doesn't change at B+. And unfortunately, whenever you rip off a Band-Aid, it's going to sting for a little bit. And we're going to have to kind of wade through that over the next few quarters. All right, Gene. Thanks. Great to see you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. So there's, they're not going to give this unit sales data starting in the fourth quarter, calendar quarter. This is the same quarter that they guided lower their revenue. So, Karen... How are you feeling right now as an Apple shareholder? Not so good. Not so happy with that. I really, you know, I can't read into it. Oh, it's all good. Could be neutral. Could be. Or right. it could be bad. I just think they didn't handle it well. They should have told us also 
early in the day. Let's say we open up a lower 7% here. What does that do to tech? Uh, yeah, is this going to be as detrimental listen, as the Amazon I don't think the balance revenue? in the MAGA complex has been the, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon. I, I don't so think it's catchy. been <laughs> particularly it's really gonna catch impressive, on. to be very frank. So uh -huh. I think this probably has some of those guys start testing the prior lows. As you see, their queues trading lower in the after-hour session. Up next, we've got the final trades. Final trade, Tim. Talked about those oil companies, Chevron. Like it. Karen. Yeah, CBS, good earnings. I still like it here, even though it's up a little bit. Beakers. Uh, TLT, oil down, less reason to raise rates. Dan. Yeah, XLE traded up to 72. All right, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.